0: Welcome back to Detroit Strange.
1: This podcast.
0: We are back, back, back again after being gone last week due to my birthday. Yeah,
1: so many birthdays last week. I know. I think I knew like three people on your birthday, which was, I was like, whoa. It was also, really? Yeah, and then it was my cousin's birthday the next day, the next day, no, two days later. And then producer Patty's birthday Yeah, over the weekend. And then there was like a million people with that birthday, too.
0: It's interesting. I know. I, like, I know. didn't know anybody growing up with the same birthday as me. Then I found out that Sean Hamlin mm-hmm. from Planet 8 has the same birthday as me. So we're birthday twins. We I just I think I it. love Leos. That's fair.
1: Yeah, I, I I gravitate towards Leos. I collect them. Uh, love my Leos. Love my Leos and my Libras. I have a lot of Libras too in my life. Libra, yeah. Libras. Mm-hmm. Roommate out. Lisa's a Libra.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, that yeah, tracks. Yeah. What are you? Capricorn. Capricorn. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should remember this because every time you say it, I think about how RuPaul always says Capricorn.
1: <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> I don't understand. I don't know the reference that he's referenced, but he always just Capricorn, and so that's mm-hmm. why I think. See, I think they stopped doing it, their podcast. Either that, they just like haven't done it in a long time.
1: I mean, podcasts—they're not necessary. They can be a right. long haul thing, but they're not. They they live as long as they want to live.
0: Yeah. So. Makes sense. Yeah. I bet probably the pandemic did a lot, did a number on them.
1: I think in both ways, though, too, because there was also a lot of new podcasts that popped up during oh, the pandemic. Oh, God, yeah.
0: Everyone and their brother started the podcast. I yeah.
1: Think. Exactly. And um, we just kept ours going. That was yeah. pretty good.
0: I'm proud of us for that.
1: I am super proud of us for that. Not we... even
0: a Pangea could slow us down. No,
1: not a Panoramic. Pancheros. I went real. Portabella. Yeah. Um I went back to college for that Panchero's reference right there.
0: I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> do they still exist? Do you remember them?
0: I vaguely do, but I don't I couldn't tell you last they time. They were I've like seen
1: Chipotle. One.
0: Yeah. Before
1: Chipotle, I think.
0: Yeah. But yeah,
1: I, I can't remember the I was really into them in college.
0: <laughs> I like I definitely remember the name. I don't know if I've ever eaten there.
1: Okay. I, I liked it. But yeah, I haven't seen or heard about a Pancheros in a million years. Yeah. If you're out there, Pancheros, let us know.
0: Right.
2: Slide let us know DMs, how you're doing.
0: Hashtag will be sponsored.
1: <laughs> that goes for any.
0: Anyone listening yeah. who wants to sponsor us. <laughs> yeah. Please.
1: Which speaking of sponsors, yeah. We have a Patreon shout-out right now. We sure do. Yeah, because we're any new subscribers to our Patreon, we're gonna give a shout-out to. So thank you to Mitch for uh, joining the patreon yeah we appreciate welcome the support yeah
0: the strange legs
1: yeah uh yeah patreon yeah it's great
0: it's wonderful you can get so many we're you know we're about to put some new stuff on there we're gonna do a deeper dive into we both just got back from pretty Pretty big vacation.
1: Yeah, it was kind of wild that they, we didn't plan them at the same time to happen, but we were both planning them and they happened to be at the same time. Yeah. Which was pretty grand on our part, I think. Oh,
0: for sure. We're just so in sync.
1: We are very in sync. Yeah. We are more in sync than the band.
0: We are more in In sync sync than Justin Timberlake, Jaycee Sevez, Joey Fatone, Chris, that guy, and then uh, the other one.
1: Wow. You know so many names. Oh, yeah. I do love Lance Bass just as a human actually yes. watching him on, on like random social things or he was on the, the circle sort of.
0: He, oh yeah. He was fake.
1: Oh wait, His assistant. spoiler.
0: Yeah. Whatever. They haven't seen it yet.
1: Yeah. It's been out for months. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: I didn't watch this past season. Did you? Oh, I did. What'd you think?
1: I was still entertained by it. It's such like a silly show. It is. It was even more interesting to watch in the midst of like, cause they were in the pandemic when they, recorded yeah. this season which was different than the first one yeah it's so cheesy though too and actually watching it just for the after show like the comeback show or whatever is uh, worth it because that was the most ridiculous i thought I was on drugs <laughs> um but I, I don't know it's an interesting concept it's cheesy it's totally fabricated all absolutely of it. but it's also fun for that reason yeah it's like you get to detach from like regular life and pretend that the social media is like, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I really liked the first season. I just couldn't mm. bring myself to watch the second one. Okay. And I think it's because I didn't want to watch... Oh, hello, Minerva. Oh, Minerva
1: has some thoughts on that. Yeah. She's like, we need to watch that, Dad.
0: I know. Please put that on. Maybe someday. I just like, when it came out, it was like... Things were like starting to open back up, but not quite. Yeah. And so I was just kind of like, I don't want to watch people who are stuck in a building because that's my life. I don't need to do that right
1: that's totally fair um
0: but now it's a form of
1: escapism for me i think just to watch other random people and i don't know it always ends up that they're all friends in the end which i think is super funny yeah even the ones who are like lying they're like "Ah, you're lying that's so funny right (laughs) and i'm like okay cool
0: yeah
2: (laughs) i'm
1: glad we're good on there i mean i'm never mad at the people who are lying because like i guess that's part of it too is it's a game, so it's not. They're not right. lying to lie. They're lying to, for the game. Yeah. So it's like they're playing the game. Different than an actual like, internet catfish. Yeah. In that way, so it's funny. I don't know. I I love my Netflix reality shows. I have an idea for one. What is it? Um, it's a dating show, probably for me because I would like to do that. Uh, and it involves some sort of it. It's, it's a series of uh hikes. So like. You meet up for like a hike date at like a national park. Uh-huh. Cause now I'm national park obsessed. Yes. Yeah. And just park obsessed in general and hiking obsessed. And you meet up and you go on a hike. And then you get to decide if you would like invite them back to your campsite. Not for anything raunchy, yeah. just to like spend more time around the campsite. Yeah. And clearly there'd be a whole production team and stuff around too. So it'd be very safe. Yeah. Kind of situations. But I think there's nothing like a hike to get to know how you're going to get along with a person because a it's really nice and grounding. So there's some like really nice, Oh, for sure. Like just like down to earth things there. But also there's always something you don't expect that comes up and how somebody handles that is very important. I think yeah. there's always like, especially if you've not been on that particular one, I don't know there's just always something like real, like, Oh, I'm on the edge of a cliff right now. I didn't mean to do this. Whoops. How do I handle
3: it? Hopefully not fall off. Well, exactly. Yeah.
1: But yeah, so I don't know. It'd be like hike to love or ain't no mountain high enough. Maybe Summit of our love. Uh, Summit of love. Oh, yeah. Summit of love. Yes. And I don't know how it exactly. I mean, I would like to be the main star of it. Yeah. It probably would make more sense. Each episode was a different pairing of people. But no, I would like it to center around me. Uh, <laughs> you're hiking,
0: like, you're doing this, like, a really long hike. You're, like, hiking, like, across the state or some bullshit. Well. Like, one of those trails that goes on forever, and at each, like, checkpoint, there's a new guy. And you have to choose if you want to meet the new guy or if you're really vibing with the other guy. I think
1: that's what it is. Although, I don't want to necessarily do the same trail the whole time. Because yeah. some of those trails are creepy and scary, and there's things that hide in the well, woods at night. A man
0: is going to protect you.
1: But I really want to do, like... I'm obsessed with the national parks right now because my trip, like you would reference, like Lisa and I went around and we just did a bunch of national parks for mm. basically two weeks and some other things too. Uh, we stopped in Sedona, naturally. Yeah. And she got us these passports. Uh-huh. They're national park passports. And yeah. at each park, you get what, it's confusing because you get what's called a cancellation, but it's actually just a rubber stamp that you stamp into your passport. uh uh-huh. But there's also these things called stamps, which are things you buy, and they're like pictured stickers. Huh. Yeah. So we're just calling the cancellation stamps. I don't care about the stickers. I care about my little rubber stamp. It's got a little date on it. Some of them have a second one, too, that's like a picture for that park. Yeah. And you just like a normal passport, you fill your little passport book. Well, that's fun. Yeah. So now I'm like, I need to go to all the national parks, national monuments, national whatever that have stamps for my passport clearly yeah
0: oh absolutely that's yeah. such like a fun little like thing to like cuz like it was adorable yeah you yeah. Can keep track of which ones you've been to cuz sometimes i'm like have i been here before i don't know you know
1: i mean i think i know if i've been to a national park uh
0: that's true <laughs> that's fair
1: but i also realized i haven't been to that many national parks
0: before I, I haven't either i don't think i couldn't really even name one I think unless like heart- I think Hartwick Pines is National Forest, right? Yeah,
1: National Forest, we did learn. So at the Grand Canyon, we had this awesome naturalist who gave like a little outdoor, you know, lesson basically in the history of the Grand Canyon. And she did a like Q&A session. And one person asked the difference. One of them is the National, I think it's the National Park. I might be flip-flopping, but I think the National Parks are ran by the Department of the Interior. Okay. And then the forests are ran by the um, department, a different department.
0: Natural Resources?
1: I don't know if there is a federal DNR. I know there's DNRs in each state. Yeah. The other one is the forestry. Maybe it's like forestry. Department yeah. of Forestry and Agriculture. Sure. Sure. So they're ran by two different departments. So okay. they often butt up to each other, which is really interesting, too. I didn't know that. Like a lot of times one leads into the other. Yeah. And they have different protections. So like a national park, you basically you can't do anything to that land. Yeah. Uh, it is just protected. You can't really like hunt fish, like all that kind of stuff on it. Whereas national forests, they differ a little bit and mm-hmm. they have less regulations okay. on those lands. So they're, they're protected, but they're less protected than like the national park system. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: There's a national park in the UP, right?
1: Is it uh, yeah.
0: Okay. So I've been there. That's the only one I can think of. Up sleeping bear dunes. Never been there.
1: Uh, We might have to change that. Yeah. Because I need my stamp now. I've been there, but I need my stamp now. Okay. Yeah. And we'll plan a a
0: nice fall trip. Is mm -hmm. fall a good time for the dunes?
1: Oh, yeah. Definitely. I I mean, them is really hot, so I don't want to go in the summer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We did go to the Indiana dunes, which is a national shoreline. They do have a stamp. Ooh. Uh, And that's only like three or four hours away, too, from Detroit. That's not bad. No, no. But there's not a ton around here. Yeah. You do have to venture. Those are the, the, I'd say, I think the three closest. Okay. Yeah. Even the porcupines, they're a national forest, I believe, but they're not a national park.
0: Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Interesting.
1: Yeah. It's systematically very strange until you start to like pay attention and you're like, huh. Yeah. Huh. Weird. So get a passport and (laughs) you'll, you'll be obsessed with it like I am now.
0: I can't wait. Yeah, I got to do that. So I need to explore more. That's like, that's kind of what my trip taught me. I mean, there was a lot of like other stuff too, but just kind of like, I'd never been to New Mexico, had no idea what it was going to be like. And I'm like, this is beautiful, amazing, stunning, gorgeous, one of a kind.
1: Mm-hmm. And we missed each other in New Mexico by a week.
0: I know. Um,
1: also, uh, I found out recently, our friend Kyle was in New Mexico. Oh, really? Uh, around the end of July too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah.
0: New Mexico is a happening place. New
1: Mexico is gorgeous. It
0: really is.
1: I, I've been a couple times, mostly like on road trips or something. Yeah. But never upset when I stop. Yeah. I love New Mexico. I love my little. I have a favorite hot spring there. I need to venture out there and go to the other ones because there's so many hot springs there. Uh, but you know, like your yeah. first is always your favorite.
0: Oh, for sure. <laughs> first always holds. Nice place in your heart.
1: It does, and mine has a cave for one, so I enjoy that feature.
0: Yes, that is a nice feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. But you had some hot springs too at your. Yes,
0: your they were getaway. right outside um where we were staying. So like uh-huh. they were on like the center property. So we just kind of like would walk out at night and just go soak in the hot springs, look at the stars. Like it looked fake how many stars there were a lot of the time.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that whole area of the country has so much like less light pollution. Oh yeah. Um, I didn't know this. There's this thing and the Grand Canyon's part of it. I accidentally, so I forgot my one sweatshirt at home and then I found out Yellowstone was going to be like 50 something degrees at Uh night or 40. So I had to buy a few sweatshirts on route to Yellowstone. Yeah. And one of them I got is this very lovely one from the Grand Canyon that I'm obsessed with, but it says dark sky on it. And then in the letterings, there is like outlines of animals and then like starry sky. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I love it. I didn't know, though. It's actually part of some dark sky program in which certain places out in that direction, that area of the United States, are labeled as designated dark sky zones for going and seeing just like basically like the best night sky. Like the Grand Canyon, we had a beautiful, beautiful sky there. and it's just because it's so far away from like major light pollution sources. Yeah. And there's not like a lot of light anywhere near there. And the same with a lot of northern New Mexico, unless you're getting really close to one of the cities.
0: Yeah. Oh, no. When it was dark, it was dark.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. Dark yeah. Sky.
0: Yeah. Is <laughs> the name of one of my favorite songs by Nero.
1: Oh, I don't or know I who that is, but are... I would love to listen to it while wearing my sweatshirt.
0: Yes, I will send you a link and you can listen to it.
1: <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so fantastic. I love, I love your trip. Yeah. I love that we both got to go see it. we love detroit but it's really nice to venture out into the it was the woods. nice
0: to get a change of scenery and mm-hmm. just like like it was nice for me just to like detach for a week just kind of like mm-hmm. get away from everything like i had my phone in airplane mode pretty much the entire week the only time i turned it off was to like access spotify
1: mm-hmm. and
0: like i had everything else turned like i on my phone i can disable apps so i disabled anything that could ping and then just switched out of airplane mode just to download an album
1: yeah um well we could probably both go on about everything that we did because and we... if you
0: want to hear it head to our patreon
1: <laughs> yeah. where all
0: this bonus content will be posted yeah
1: we're gonna make a little video or something it might take a second
0: but it's coming
1: you know if you but... want to
0: hear more about our trip sorry to put it behind a paywall but it's not detroit related so
1: yeah uh, we're trying to be a little quicker up top. I don't know if we're doing it today, but we are trying to be a little quicker up top.
0: <laughs> well,
1: but we had to catch
0: I, up. Exactly. You made us a lovely drink. I did. And I'm actually enjoying it. I know you said
1: I'm calling it a Godfather plus because a Godfather is traditionally
0: Godfather part two.
1: Oh, there we go. Yes. Yeah. It's traditionally, a, um, generally a brandy, but like you can use a whiskey with this is Jim Beams so is a bourbon, uh-huh. uh, with amaretto. Mm hmm. Uh, but it's plus because I put a few bitters in it just for some fun.
0: Yeah, just a little extra.
1: Yeah, I like bitters. Yeah. But I do have a story for you.
0: Lay it on me.
1: And I'm not even going to start with have you heard, but have you ever driven down a little street called Woodward? I have. Okay. Uh, and actually, this is very appropriate right now because it is the Woodward Dream Cruise time, and I am avoiding Ugh. Woodward with all my soul.
0: I know it's very like Scrooge McDuck of me to hate the dream cruise, (laughs) but I hate the dream cruise.
1: Here's the thing. It's fine. I guess it's not for me and I understand that it's not for me and that's fine. I've gone once just to like have the experience of actually walking through the festivities when there was like things. I don't know what it's like now. For the most part, it just has in my life meant a lot of traffic uh, in the areas that I live. Right. someone now who lives
0: I'm not in Burndale. I, I just didn't go anywhere this weekend. I kind of just sat I, my happy ass at home.
1: So we are going to talk about... Woodward? Woodward, the man behind the name of Woodward. Okay. Augustus Woodward.
0: Augustus, not yeah. Woodrow. Woodrow Woodward.
1: Not Woodrow Woodrow. Woodrow. <laughs> That'd be too can't much. It. That's it too much was, wood for way one too name. Much. Yeah. One man can't handle all that wood. No. No. So, also, I just want to note that originally it was called Courthouse Avenue before the name was changed. I actually couldn't find the exact year that the name was changed. Courthouse was Avenue, it? interesting. Yes. Well, he was a judge. Okay. Yeah. So he was born Elias Woodward in November of 1774, in New York City, okay. to luxury good importer named John Woodward, and his mother's name was Anne Sylvester Woodward. Okay. His mother was from a Dutch family that was one of the oldest and wealthiest in the city. The family itself lived in Manhattan on the corner of Pine and Pearl Street. And his father joined the Revolutionary War, which left the Woodward family pretty destitute. So they kind of went from like being comfortable to like not. Yeah. And the their fortune never recovered. However, his uncle Elias Brevert Brevert B-R-E-V-O-O-R-T could not tell you.
2: Sure. Brevert. Uh, <laughs>
1: He paid for Elias's education at Columbia College.
2: Ooh, fancy. fancy.
1: And this is where he adopted the name Augustus to sound a little bit grandiose. I,
0: I, it's a choice. I mean, I know it was, you know, different times, I but know. Augustus.
3: Because
0: Augustus. all I think of it is either the capital of Maine or um, Augustus Gloop.
1: That's what I was thinking of. Yes.
0: Augustus Gloop, Augustus Gloop. Mm -hmm. A big old greedy nincompoop. Mm
1: -hmm. I don't want that legacy. Don't eat that chocolate river. No. Don't eat that chocolate river.
0: Don't you
2: dare. Um,
1: But I'm pretty sure this Augustus came first.
0: (laughs) Oh, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Probably would have eaten the chocolate river if given the chance, though. So he showed academic success in arguing complex legal cases and examining the intricacies of things such as city planning and national governance. This prepared him for his future life of being a judge, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So a little bit about his appearance, though, because, you know, let's envision the man a little yeah. bit. He stood about six foot three. So for the time period, very tall. Oh, yeah. And he gave a lot of attention to his hair and clothing. However, he wasn't so great with personal hygiene. So let's check in with biographer Silas Farmer to see what he wrote of him. He stank. <laughs> Pretty much. The judge was very tall with a sallow complexion and usually appeared in court with a long, loose overcoat or a swallow-tailed coat with brass buttons, a red cravat, a buff vest, which was always open and from which protruded an immense mass of ruffles. These last, together with the broad ruffles at his wrists, were invariably soiled. His pantaloons hung in folds to his feet, meeting a pair of boots which were always well-greased. His hair received his special attention and on court days gave evidence of the best efforts of one tonsorial artist in town. He was never known to be full under the influence of liquor, but always kept a glass of brandy on the bench before him. In the evenings, he would go to Max and Conan's store and sit and talk and smoke his pipe and sip half a pint of whiskey until it was gone. Dope. Yeah, but never known to be under the influence.
0: Never known to be under the flu, it's just kind of always a little drunk.
1: That might be contradicted later too. We'll see.
0: <laughs> I'm just too. It sounds like he wore a lot of ruffles. If you're gonna smell, you ruffles gonna hold that in.
1: That's true. Ruffles that's have true. ridges. You, they hold
0: the dip and they hold the smell. <laughs> you know.
1: True. <laughs> um, Augustus moved up the social ladder despite his eccentric appearance and matching behavior. After he graduated from Columbia, he practiced law in Philly. Because I can't type out the whole word Philadelphia apparently. It's hard to spell. Um it also when I hear the word Philadelphia, I always think of Name it's you? always funny. No, I always oh. think of it's always funny in Flippadelphia where they play flip clip. Flip flip Philadelphia. I can't I can't stop it. It's just
0: I get
2: it.
1: My go-to. And
0: everyone who doesn't call it Philly, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh Motown Philly's back again. <laughs> and he was able to move his parents and his sister and get them out of poverty at this point. Because he was doing kind of That's while. nice. Mm-hmm. And when his uncle Elias Brevort died in 1797, Augustus was left a small inheritance, which he used to buy property on Pennsylvania Avenue, close to the White House construction site. Okay. I don't know what came of this, other than at that time he set up a law practice. Okay. So amongst his social connections in D.C. was a man named Thomas Jefferson.
2: I heard of her. Yep, who he
1: met in 1795 and would pretty much know forever. Okay. In D.C., he advocated that D.C.'s voting rights should be similar to that of states. He eventually went as far as to publish a series of pamphlets about the matter. This would pay off when, in 1802, he was elected to Washington's first city council. Interesting. However, after serving less than one full year term, he became unhappy with the slow pace of city politics and abandoned the position. I mean, fair. Yeah. Uh, despite this, though, he was still getting attention of elites, in the new capital and paying attention to the city. He was particularly interested in the new city planning as laid out by Pierre Charles L'Enfant, a Frenchman who served under Washington in the Re- Revolutionary War. L'Enfant modeled the new layout after Paris's wide boulevards and radial design, focused on around one central hub. Woodward was in love with the plan so much, it is said that he actually pasted L'Enfant's drawings into his notebook which he carried with him to his new eventual post in the Northwest Territory.
0: Interesting. That's Michigan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Before we had a name. Yeah. Northwest Territory.
1: Um, and this leads us to his political connections continuing to pay off. And he was appointed as one of three Supreme Court justices for the new territory of Michigan, established June 30th, 1805, which is the same day Woodward arrived to the city of Detroit. Interesting. When he arrived, the city was a scene of chaos and devastation with one single building standing after the Great Fire that happened on June 11th of 1805.
0: Is that the one that's on the flag? That's got to be the one that's on the flag.
1: Yeah. Well, yep. I actually put a little blurb about it in there because it's one of those things I've come across in reading and I knew about the flag, but I I wanted to know a little bit more. The
0: flag is busy.
1: So we're going to. Well, I'm going to talk about just how busy the flag is in a second. Oh, yeah. Um, It deserves a mention. It doesn't deserve a full episode necessarily, but it deserves Absolutely. a mention. So the Great Fire of 1805, it began the morning of June 11th, as mentioned. It was believed to have began in or near the stable of a local baker named John Harvey. There was never any official cause determined, but it was speculated that ashes from a pipe started the whole thing. Put out your damn cigarette.: Keep your
0: pipes clean. <laughs> oh, different pipes, different pipes.
1: Oh, yeah, I think it was a smoking pipe.
0: <laughs> that makes more sense.
1: Yeah. Uh, one of the first buildings to catch fire was a nearby barn, and since almost everything was made of wood, everything went up. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. The population- Somebody call 911. Detroit mm-hmm. fire burning all the buildings. Mm-hmm. Whoa. <laughs> uh, the population of the city was ne- about, it was somewhere between six and 800 people that I saw a couple different numbers at that time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And with a population that small, the city lacked a professional fire department. So the residents of Detroit attempted to save the city by creating a, quote, bucket brigade, which is exactly what you think it is. Oh, yeah. They passed a bucket from the river and tried to put out the fire. I'm I'm sure there were multiple buckets in, yeah, but literally just scooping up river water.
0: Henry Ford was there taking notes.
1: <laughs> uh, it was to no avail, though. Pretty much leveled the city. One building remained standing, maybe a few like fire, you know, chimneys and things like that. But that yeah. was about it. But nobody died. That's that was good. the one positive takeaway.
0: They're all in the Bucket Brigade. Mm
1: -hmm. And as you mentioned, the city's flag actually features the fire in the background. So the flag, you can see representation of all the countries that actually control the city in the background. So Mm -hmm. there's four quadrants. France is represented by five golden fleur-de-lis on a white field. Great Britain is represented by three golden lions on a red field. The 13 original colonies is represented by one field of 13 red and white stripes and another section of 13 white stars on a blue background. There's also an image in the middle of two women. It's been updated over time just to make it, I don't know, more printer friendly. But they're in front of a city on fire. Half the city's on fire, half of it's up. There's also the phrase, Speramus Meliora and Resurget which basically is Latin. And I'm sorry for butchering that Latin. For we hope for better things and it will rise from the ashes.
0: I mean, that's a pretty fitting logo or yeah. motto. Yeah, but that's a lot. That that's a lot for that flag to carry.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you look at the original one too, because it's like an illustration, it's real detailed. They've oh, definitely yeah. simplified it, but it's. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. Day. I
0: mean, the city can have whatever kind of flag it wants. It, I'm like, it, it's better than some just like minimalistic.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Like it's got some character at least.
1: A I mean, lot of character. It has a story, and yeah. I mean,
0: a whole story, a whole
1: phoenix thing happening, phoenix rising from the. I don't know.
0: I, I, you know, I like the name Detroit, but I think Phoenix, you know, maybe we should have taken that one.
1: <laughs> it's true. Um, so back to Woodward, though. Yes. Man of the hour, I guess. So he gets to the newly burned down city to work with his co-justice, Frederick Bates, who was an inhabitant of the city about eight years. Along with them was a, nam- a man named William Hall, who was appointed territorial governor by Thomas Jefferson. They all showed up with their paperwork basically just after the Embers were out. Okay. Bates, however, had no legal power to clean up even though he had been in the study, and so he kind of needed Woodward and Hall and they were appointed with this task. Yeah. This gave Woodward the chance to use something from his notebook. The okay. plans that he had previously pasted in of L'Enfant's designs for Washington, D.C.
0: Okay, here we go. I had heard of those.
1: Mm-hmm. This is like the only thing I think I knew about him. So he created a grand plan with radial avenues coming from periodic grand circuses and parks. Keep in mind at the time, 6 to 800 inhabitants in the city. Yeah. And this plan laid out for a sprawling city that could house millions and stretch for miles and miles and miles. He imagined a system that the city could basically grow block by block from a central point. And the first draft of his master plan could house about five or 50,000 residents almost like after the first yeah. you know, few blocks. However, everybody at this time is basically farmers. Yeah. And it's not that kind of city at this point in time. No. And so it would take about six decades for this to become popular.
0: Just a short six decades. Just a
1: short. One of the largest problems, like I, I mentioned, is that it was originally founded as a French colony. And the layout was previously centered on access to the river. Everybody needs fresh water. Yeah. It was the main port of transportation and business and necessary for things like irrigation for your farm and fishing
0: important things
1: yep and the city was mostly ribbon farms at this point in time yeah i'm not sure if we've mentioned those before i think you and i've I, talked about yeah, them. Yeah. But-
0: I, I definitely remember i think at least they've shown up at least one of it i think it was say so we do about gross points i can't remember but like i remember talking about ribbon farms uh-huh. but
1: anyway yeah Uh, But basically, just a quick refresher, they are plots of land that are only about 250 to 400 feet wide, but they're about three miles long with access to the river. In some cases, they're actually access to a road depending on the place, but they've been popular all over the world during like developmental times, especially.
0: I know a lot of Point Shores were that.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, basically all of the Detroit River was ribbon farms if it wasn't the fort. And nobody was interested in a 120 foot wide boulevard that would give him access to travel empty roads just to plow the rest of their field. Basically, nobody wants a longer commute.
0: And I can appreciate that.
1: Yeah. So he wasn't thinking about the people at the time. He was just thinking about this fancy thing he thought was cool. Right. Which, I mean, it's a good design for a sprawling city with lots of inhabitants. Yes. But not that city at that time.
0: Right. 600 people sitting there. Farming and is burned down, you know. Yeah.
1: So he also overlooked another major thing. He saw no need to change the location of the fort, which was at Fort and Shelby Street at okay. that time. The location offered high ground, which was definitely a good defense asset, but its guns were too far from the river to actually defend anybody coming in off the river, which is a main access point for anybody coming from out of town.
2: Yeah.
1: And this oversight would actually cause problems a few years later. Uh, after the rebuild, <clears throat> 1812. We'll get there. (laughs) Basically, the plan was doomed from the start. He thought too big, too fast, too far ahead. And he declared that Detroit would become a city thriving with people characterized by industry and abounding in the production and arts which minister to the convenience and comfort of man. We got there eventually. Yeah. Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. But I don't think he necessarily had bad thoughts. He just wasn't thinking about. The actual people at the time.
0: He was thinking like really idealistically and not like yes, actually what the city needed. He was like, here's what I want the city to be at some point eventually.
1: Exactly. So he hired a Canadian surveyor to measure out the new streets. But Detroit- Detroiters uh, went out on their own and just actually started putting up homes and barns wherever they wanted. They were Sounds like, about right. Fuck this guy. And many of the times that didn't fit into his master grand plan. And most of the deals in those days were conducted via handshake. So it was pretty easy for them to do. Yeah. So what did he do with all these frustrating developments, you think?
2: Did he burn them down?
1: He sulked. (laughs) Like a grown man does.
2: Yeah. With Uh, his ruffles. Yes. his smelly ruffles.
1: Yes. He just put his little head down in those smelly ruffles and just sat in it. Uh, Basically, in October of 1805, he and Governor Hall left to present their new plans to Congress for approval. So kind of still going forward with their plans. He decided to stay in Washington in April of 1806. You know, visiting the fam- with fam, attending dinners with T. Jeff, T. Jefferson. I don't know T. Jeff, T. Jeff, with T. Jeff, Tommy J. Tommy J. And meanwhile, in Detroit, there was basically a clusterfuck happening. There was a lot of lawsuits, and no house in the city was actually built in 1806 at all. Wow. Yeah. By 1807, there was a petition from the citizens laying the blame on Woodward and Hall. One word used by the people to describe the two was Bastonnois, a French-Canadian term that basically ridiculed bureaucrats from the East Coast with no actual knowledge of what it was like to live on the frontier. The root word, I think, was like Boston. So I think it was like, "Mm, you're just so Boston, kind of. Yeah. There were many accusations of graft and profiteering also beginning to surface. For example, one of the first buildings finished in Detroit was Governor Hall's mansion on prime real estate on Jefferson Avenue land, which it used to be called land, I guess. Oh.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I wrote WTF. I mean, Detroit residents still cleaning up from the Great Fire at this point, and yeah, this he's guy like, comes into the house. Yeah, on like good land on the river. Right. Another thing that might not have gone too well was when a wealthy man named James Mays scavenged the best bricks from all the fireplaces. That were kind of remaining. Yeah. And decided to build a mansion house on 220 feet of riverfront property, which was quickly bought by Woodward and leased as a hotel and boarding complex.
0: Interesting.
1: Woodward also grabbed property on the northern outskirts where he plotted a model village. Basically, Highland Park today.
0: Interesting. Mm -hmm.
1: I don't think anything that he modeled necessarily remains. I think that's just like...
0: Right. That's just kind of like... What he set up became Highland Park. But I'm wondering
1: if that's why Highland Park is its own thing.
0: Probably. Yeah. Possibly.
1: I didn't look into that. That's just like a thing I'm thinking about right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another critique of Woodward came from a man named John Gentle, a Scottish trader who worked the riverfront for many years previous to the fire. He petitioned Woodward for the same property rights to land Detroiters were being granted because he had basically said anybody who was here before the fire, we're going to give you some land after yeah. the fire. And his claim was denied, alleging that he wasn't a citizen and didn't deserve it. So John took his story to the National Papers. And this wasn't good for good old Woodward, who came off as greedy and grotesque. And basically, I kind of get the impression some comics were drawn about him. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Smelly Ruffles. Yeah. Smelly Ruffle Man. Gross.
1: And he basically, this would follow him the rest of his life. Fair. So. How did Hall and Woodward navigate all of this negativity, you think? Mindfulness. Well, yeah. Mindfulness. They sat down and calmly came up with a plan together. Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Instead, they participated in petty battles over whose authority should hold greater power in the city.
0: Sounds about right.
1: Yeah. This battle would basically halt all legislative progress in the city and kept a provincial town with supply problems. So.
0: Work. Real great. (laughs) Or don't
2: work, apparently. Yeah,
1: Paul, who was governor and commander of the military forces at this time, formed a militia for the region and reluctantly appointed Woodward, a colonel of the 1st Regiment. Paul would later go on to state that Woodward demonstrated remarkable levels of incompetence and bravado in his impractical placement of batter position. So it's like he almost appointed him just so he could like... Shit on him? Yeah. Woodward took offense to this and gave up the commission and fled to Frenchtown, now known as Monroe. Okay. Yeah. Love that. Another instance in which he fucked up was the first Detroit bank debacle. This one's real good. Okay. When Woodward and Hall had arrived from Washington, so we're going back to when they first came in 1805-06, they brought with them articles of incorporation to establish a private bank in Detroit. This would be backed by investors from the East Coast. But it was later discovered the investors had no collateral of their own, and they were relying on loans to feed into the bank funds. That that sounds great. Yeah, they used borrowed money to create borrowed money or money to borrow.
0: Yeah, no, I'm sure that worked out really well.
1: So Woodward was named president of the Bank of Detroit, and he fought for a 100-year bank term in the circulation of $1 million in bills, even though the actual capital the bank held was much, much less. He approved the construction of a massive stone building, of course, with iron vaults and a ginormous floor plan, even though at this point, most residents, again still living in like tents because of the fire yeah so needless to say the bank failed and i know so weird and the fault fell on poor old woodward
0: i don't know why
1: however the bank's investors had actually engineered the whole thing as a scheme he was a pawn
2: damn they
1: wanted to pass valueless notes off in eastern cities uh knowing that by the time they were redeemed in Detroit, they would be Detroit's problem. So basically early money laundering.
2: Cool.
0: <laughs> just off to a great start.
1: Where, God, Detroit really just got the shit under the stick, like early on. It sure did. So Woodward didn't stand alone in all of his buffoonery, though. He did have a right-hand man named Griffin. And along with Griffin and some men by the name of Bates and Witherall, they put together a judicial system in the new territory as well. But records show a mixture of really over-the-top ideas Uh and ideals that failed on technicalities, or as I'm now calling it, the Woodward Way. (laughs) Uh, His judicial style was somewhat erratic. He would actually, though, go on to make some rulings that would shape the landscape of the nation decades later, and some of them, I will say, were positive Well, I'm just going to dive into it. Yeah. So in 1787, so we're going back a little bit, the territory of Michigan deemed slavery to be outlawed. But British citizens were protected from this and could bring slaves with them since British law still allowed this in the North American territories. Damn. Mm -hmm. This is real wild. Uh, Another piece of British law from 1793 said that when children of the enslaved turned 25, they were to be emancipated. So British occupation of Detroit until 1796 would further create more complexities in this because there was a lot of British British people people living here. And in September of 1807, a British property owner named Tucker purchased an enslaved family in Canada and moved them to Detroit. Their names were Peter and Hannah Dennison, and they had four children. Tucker declared that Peter... Peter... Peter. Peter Malark. Peter and Hannah would be freed when his wife died, but that their children would stay enslaved. Woodward seemed to disagree with slavery in general, which is good. That's a good thing, at least, yeah. But also felt an obligation to the law. So he Mm. was like, yeah, it's a little tricky. And in his ruling, though, of the case, he declared, The slave trade is unquestionably the greatest of the enormities which have been perpetrated by the human race. The existence at this day of an absolute unqualified slavery of the human species in the United States of America is universally and justly considered their greatest and deepest reproach. Don't disagree with that. Yeah. Uh, about a month or so later, he ruled in another case also regarding the issue of slavery. 22-year-old Jane and 18-year-old Joseph were enslaved by Richard Pattinson, a merchant from Sandwich, Canada. Yum.
0: Things being named Sandwich, because that was know. the original name of Hawaii. It was the Sandwich Island. And by original name, yeah. I mean the original name white people gave it. Oh, boo. Yeah, Sandwich Island. And it's the Earl of Sandwich.
1: Not creative. No. Not creative. And he brought them to Detroit on a trading mission, and they escaped to Smith Tavern. Smith and his patrons protected them from getting recaptured by Pattinson and a fight ensued in the tavern with the case eventually going before Woodward. Woodward interpreted the law in a way due to technicalities of it to free Jane and Joseph, which is great. Yeah. Basically, he ruled that slavery was legal in Michigan in cases where the enslaved were already enslaved by British settlers before the Jay Treaty of 1796 or if they were fleeing an American state in which slavery was legal. Yeah. Good thing. So news of this reached the Denison children, who mm. were still enslaved at this point, and they saw an opportunity. The three oldest Denison children were born during the same window of time that Woodward had declared it permissible for enslavement, but he also ruled that fleeing slaves would not be persecuted. So Elizabeth Denison and her siblings crossed into Canada, where they were free from the, the ruling, and they returned a few years later, after, mm. I believe they were of age, and now according to his rulings, they, weren't to, they were to be emancipated nice. because they had like flown fleeed. Blood blood. Blood, blood,
2: blood blood
1: uh and just a nice side note because it's nice elizabeth as a free woman went on to be the first woman of color to own property in detroit hell yeah yeah so the woodward ruling unfortunately also allowed future slave catchers to travel to the city though to pursue escapees mm. which would cause a whole slew of problems down the line obviously so this is one of those things that like i want to be like oh it's so good but there's still some like, bad two with steps it forward, to- one step back kind yeah of thing. So how do you think he handled rulings with the indigenous inhabitants of the area?
3: Ah, not well. Well, uh,
1: they were pretty complicated, his his rulings.
3: Oh, good. He
1: held the American Indian population in the area in low regards, so he did not really have a lot of respect for them. And when trying to do rulings over disputes between the colonists and indigenous populations, he often had problems due to culture and language barriers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Of course he would. So during one dispute, he remarked, quote, more than one erring brave went to the gallows without the slightest understanding of how he came to be there. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. So he like knew that was happening, but then because he was following the law, he didn't like take things into consideration. Yeah. But he knew. He knew he was doing that.
2: Yeah. Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. So through practice, he developed possibly a new outlook, though. And much later in 1822. So we're going ahead a little bit. Uh, monomony. Man, I've never seen this particular tribe name before. Okay. So I don't know, but M-O-N-O-M-I-N-E-E. And a sure. Chippewa man were on trial for murder. And was quite common, neither spoke English or French. Mm-hmm. There was no translator that the court f- could find, but eventually a few children were brought in to help translate to French, and a third translator was then brought in to f- translate from French to English.
0: Oh God, this sounds like the game of telephone that's not going to end well.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it actually kind of... Ended well in the fact that it didn't work well because Woodward would go on to dimis, dismiss both cases.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah. Well, that's
1: good. And I don't know the background on the cases but again, like you can't try somebody if they're not understanding or able to communicate. It just...
0: Call back to episode one. Won. Exactly. Yeah. It, Rose Veras.
1: Ugh. So back to Woodward's Sully name though and his disputes with Hall. We're going to get into... They, they had some fun.
0: Yeah.
1: As time went on, he was often accused of public drunkenness. And in 1811, he participated in a brawl with backwoods trader Whitmore Nags, a Hull supporter. Woodward would go on to win the fistfight and had Nags arrested for assault and battery. Woodward then refused to recuse himself from the ruling, a ruling on the case, and filed a civil suit for $20,000 in damages, so almost $400,000 today. Oh my God. But the case never went to trial.
0: Never made well, it. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. he basically just like fist cuffs this guy and then was like suing you for
1: all this money mm-hmm, and I'm the judge
0: how dare you <laughs>
1: I'm the judge I say um, this along with other battles led to allegations that Woodward was abusing his judicial power shocking gee yeah I don't know and at least twice yearly petitions were sent to Congress to impeach him but to no avail so disputes between Woodward and Hall continued Hall was in Washington from the winter of 1811 into the summer of 1812 just in time for the good old War of 1812 to cause a huge ripple in the city. Little about William Hall. He was an American general, and in 1812, he would have been 59 years old, and he was a veteran of the American Revolution. General Hall would go on to surrender Fort Detroit and his 2,000-man army to the British without a fight, basically, during the war. He had basically lost hope defending the settlement after seeing the forces outside. So the forces were the British and their allies, which were the indigenous Canadian tribes. Yeah, And British General Isaac Brock allowed most of Hall's army to return to their homes in the frontier, but the U.S. Army troops were actually taken prisoner to Canada. Fort Detroit was declared a part of Great Britain, and Shawnee Chief Tecumseh had the change to increase raids against American, the American positions in the frontier area. So it kind of like heated things up. Yeah. The night of August 15th, 1812, Woodward was awakened by cannons from across the river. He jumped out of bed to see a bullet pass through his wall and hit his bed and explode the contents of his pillow he had just been lying on. Shit. His bedding was shot across the room and into the fireplace on the other side.
0: Which probably caused more fire.
1: Maybe. There wasn't anything about it. I don't think he, there was a fire. He was sleeping, so I don't think he had a fire going necessarily. That's usually and good I think good idea. This is, I have fires. Is this August? What, what month did I say this happened in? Yeah, August. So this is in August, yeah. yeah. As mentioned, General Hall surrendered Detroit, and Woodward was actually one of the few left behind after the British demanded hostages to assure compliance from Detroit. Hall would leave a man named Henry Proctor in charge of Detroit, and Proctor offered Woodward a position as Secretary of the Territory. This put Woodward in a very precarious situation, though. If he accepted it, he would be under foreign government, and therefore it would be considered treason. Uh-huh. so he quickly started sending letters to Washington, claiming his innocence and defending his actions as necessary, temporarily, for the citizens of Detroit. So he was like, oh, "I got, I have to say yes," but like, don't be mad. Right. I had to say yes. Um, which I mean, legit, he did. Yeah, that was. I legitimate. mean, he was
0: the pioneer of CYA the yes. office setting. Yeah.
1: Proctor would go on to be pretty vicious and tyrannical, and pretty dangerous for the city. He did nothing to stop the British Native American allies from taking over settlements and attacking citizens. And Woodward had very little power. He did, however, organize private funds to ransom hostages from the raids and also help secure housing for refugees of the attack that occurred on on Fort Dearborn. And he also arranged for the safe transport of the survivors of the River Racine Massacre in January 1813 in Frenchtown, again, modern day Monroe. Okay, I'm going to tell you a little bit about that because I've never heard of the Raisin River Massacre. Have you?
0: I've heard of the Raisin River, but not the massacre.
1: Well, get ready for the massacre. Uh, In January 18th, as mentioned, 1813, the American forced the retreat of the British and their allies from Frenchtown, which had been occupied. So they made a minor victory. This was part of the U.S.'s plan to retake Fort Detroit. While initially the attack was a success, British and Native American forces launched a surprise counterattack four days later. And the unprepared American side lost 392 soldiers and 547 were taken prisoner. Dozens of wounded prisoners were murdered the next day, with more being killed if they couldn't keep up with the march to Fort Malden, their next destination. God, This would be the highest number of casualties in the War of 1812. So Woodward was trying to help, basically, like those areas. So he was actually doing good in this time. It was kind of weird. Yeah. During occupation, all legal hearings were suspended. So he could avoid any condemnation of treason. And Woodward basically was an intermediary and organizer, as mentioned. His constant letters to Congress that I told you about were also telling them about the state of the city and eventually helped secure aid by way of food, clothing, military, reinforcement that would eventually go on to reclaim the city. Uh So much that residents started sending testimonials to Congress of all the good work that Woodward was doing. I guess. Yeah, so he kind of had like a weird redemption because of this like shit circumstance. Yeah. So eventually he disagreed with Proctor, though, so much that he refused to follow his decrees. He was just getting sick of the guy. Yeah. And finally, by spring of 1813, Woodward was given permission to go to D.C. to explain what was happening in Detroit. At this time, uh, his attempts to stop Proctor was having no effect, though, and papers on the East Coast were blaming him for Detroit being held in British captivity. He, however, published a detailed account of the events of Frenchtown, specifically in the River Raisin, in several papers, and eventually Detroit earned national sympathy with Remember the Raisin, becoming a rally cry through the remainder of the war. Remember the Raisin. I know.
0: Don't forget those dried grapes. (laughs) I do love a raisin. I
1: love cooking golden raisins. I love throwing golden raisins. I put golden raisins into, it was like a chickpea kind of situation spices and uh some onions and raisins. Oh, it was very good. It sounds delicious. In fact, I have it at home and eating it later, but it's good. Yes. So Hull's surrender of Detroit, though, had been a big blow to American morale during the war. It was short-lived, however, though, because only a year later, September of 1813, General William Henry Harrison, future president, recaptured Part Detroit. Her. Uh, as a result of this, in 1814, Hall was court martialed for cowardice and neglect due to his surrendering of the fort and senten- sentenced to die.
0: Damn. But honestly,
2: you
1: gave up Detroit, bitch. How dare you? I mean, he was a little bitch. Yeah. But he actually, it was revoked by President James Madison for his service in the Revolutionary War.
0: Oh, I guess death is a little extreme, but.
1: Well, it's dramatic.
0: <sighs> Drama queen. I mean,
1: just put him out to pasture.
0: Right. Should They drop him in Minnesota or something.
1: I don't know if we had Minnesota yet, though. I don't know when what, what Minnesota the, came. What
0: would become Minnesota?
1: Put him in the UP. Actually, we probably didn't have that yet either. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Put him in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so Woodward at this time is in DC. Like yeah. it's not even, you know. And he would spend the next year and a half visiting with his old friend, T. Jeff.
0: T. Jeff. Tommy J.
1: And crafting a system for a university in Michigan. When he returned to the city of Detroit, Louis Cass had been appointed as governor of the state and was tasked with the duty of cleaning up post-British occupation. Yeah. By 1817, though, he was back to, well, being his useless showboat, not thinking about what the people actually need self. Work. (laughs) Yeah. He had a new project, though, a new plan designed for the city, which was quickly shot down by Cass. So instead, he focused on his new vision the university had been planning for. Catholipistemia,
0: Gesundheit.
1: Thank you. Also known as University of Michigania.
0: Okay, that's sounding a bit more familiar. Mm-hmm.
1: His vision was equally as complex and impractical as city planning, though. He envisioned 13 departments, which he called didaxum, a word made up by him. And all would be overseen by the universal science of Catholipistemia. Sure, these were both made up by, by him. They have Greek roots, but they were both made up by him. These words yeah, so the new school would be more than just a university though it would house administration of schools, museums, libraries, research labs, botanical gardens, and every aspect of civic and intellectual life. Mind you, the city could barely afford to feed people at this point, like there'd just been devastation after devastation within it. It was yeah. still rebuilding, like everything's going on um. So he was again ridiculed and labeled absurd, but the school was still built. (laughs) Uh,
0: This is absurd. It's bullshit. I won't have it, but we're going to build it anyway.
1: So it was renamed the University of Michigan.
0: Oh, thank God.
1: And the last cornerstone was laid on September 24th, 1817. It would take generations before it would move to Ann Arbor, basically with the statehood of Michigan happening January 26th of 1837. So again, a few decades later. Yeah legislature agreed that the current site wasn't successful as the state capital and also was not a good fit for a school. So it was decided to move the school to the very young at the time, only 14 year old city of Ann Arbor. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: U of M is pretty much Ann Arbor.
1: Oh, it is. It is. And I mean, I think I, from what it sounds like, it sounds like Ann Arbor embraced it too. Like they were like, Oh, "Oh, business for us. Oh, people for us. Okay, cool. So it worked out well. Yeah. Uh, as time went on, Woodward would be... It's
0: still around today. You've heard of the University of Michigan, yeah, have correct?
1: You? Have you heard of it? Hail to
0: the big- I was at their health center today. Today? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't been there in a while.
0: I mean, it was the Northville location, so it wasn't like
3: the big house downtown.
1: I mean, yeah.
3: Yeah. And we got time for the main hospital. No, we love U of them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh
1: So as time went on, Woodward would become less and less prominent. In 1819, Congress started to allow representative election, and of course, Woodward took a go at it. Oh, an election? They'll love me.
0: They'll love my smelly, ruffled ass.
1: He was beaten by a landslide by William Woodbridge. Okay. A close connection to Cass. But Woodbridge, within a year, disliked the position and left it. Know what you're getting into, if right? What, what? What's with all these men leaving their? What? I mean, if you're really not doing your job, like please do leave. I support that. Like if you're not it's gonna, do it. I don't want to
0: do it anymore. Mm.
1: So, Cass called for a special election to reassign the seat, which Woodward ran for again. And Did can he you guess the time? outcome?
0: i Guess he didn't win.
2: He, he didn't lost once again.
1: He mm. lost hard this time to Solomon Sibley. He then challenged it, but a recount on Michel Mackinna confirmed Sibley's win. They were like, no, he no, won. it was right. It was right. So to pour a little more salt on that, too. Two years later, in 1824, the Detroit Bar Association published a denunciation of Woodward. Damn. Mm-hmm, claiming he was unfit for the position or in their words, his entire want of practical knowledge coupled with habits on becoming his station. He was also charged with an intemperance after a time that he stumbled into court, a court hearing, and needed to be propped up by an assistant to get on the bench.
0: Ooh, Woodford, not a good look.
1: No. He claimed it was a combination of cold med- medication, but no one bought it, basically. Right. Well, I mean,
0: it was the early 1800s. I was going to say, like, the like late 1800s, like, I would buy the cold medicine excuse because it probably had heroin in it, you know?
1: It did in the early 1800s too
0: they didn't invent it yet
1: oh it probably had some oh yeah it had some kind of
0: nonsense arsenic I don't know you have a cold here (laughs) lithium
1: yes exactly um the same year though congress got rid of the outdated system of appointed governors and judges and replaced it with elections for those seats as well lovely so needless to say he was removed from the bench that same year by president Monroe and he advocated himself for a diplomatic position in the Latin America's but was denied. But in a twist, with him leaving the city, Detroit threw everyone for a loop and decided he needed to be celebrated. <sighs> uh, February of 1824, there was a large fancy festivity held for him at Ben Woodworth's Hotel.
0: Do you think they're just like, oh, he's finally leaving. Let's throw him a big party so he thinks he cares and he'll never come back.
1: Maybe, I don't know. But word of it, kind of spread and it traveled as far as Washington and it must have worked for his favor because later that year he was appointed a territorial judge in Florida.
0: This is where this is the first instance of a snowbird.
1: Seriously. Woodward
0: was the OG snowbird. He
1: was, he was, he arrived in October of that year. So snowbird timing. Yes. And he somehow charmed the citizens of Tallahassee. This was A familiar looking scene is Tallahassee at this point was basically a frontier town, much like Detroit had been back in 1805, although they didn't have a giant fire right before that. But, you know, and he was able to dive into botanical studies and found a social life in the city with prominent settlers who apparently threw great parties. Occasionally we have to rule in a minor case or two, but that was about it. Nothing too big. This was short lived. However, after a few years, he contracted an unknown disease. In the new climate, and he was never diagnosed because medicine was different.
0: Yeah, they were like, "Uh, you got something wrong with you. We're just going to take oh, that you're leg. Dying. We're going to take that leg.
1: Yeah, you're dying. Yeah. And on June 12th, 1827, he passed away at the age of 52. Damn. And that is Augustus Woodward, Elias Woodward,
3: and all the buffoonery. So much buffoonery. I'm um, shenanigans. But you know what? Yeah. I
1: can't say I like him at all.
0: No. But it's a great name for a street.
1: It's a it's a fine name for a street. He used to... There were, I didn't write this down, but he used to make the joke that... Because I think it was named in his lifetime, maybe. But I think he used to make the joke that it was because it led to the woods or something. Okay. I yeah. mean... Didn't write it down, so don't, don't quote me on it. But... Yeah. I kind of remember seeing that somewhere. Okay. But yeah. um, Oh, real quick, my sources. Yes, give me your sources. So my main source was Wicked, uh, part of Wicked Detroit by Mickey Lyons book. Umich.edu. A little history there.
0: Educational source. Mm -hmm.
1: History.com, an article called U.S. Surrenders Fort Detroit to the British. Published August 14th, 2019. No specific author. And then DetroitHistorical.org. And then, of course, a little dash of Wikipedia.
0: We love a dash of Wikipedia. Yeah.
3: What a story of Augustus Elias Woodward. Yeah. 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 Just it makes me, it does not change my feelings on the street or a stream cruise.
1: No. But it's
0: nice to know the history.
1: Yeah. He just seems like a cartoon in my head, though. Like, I can't envision, like, a real human.
0: Just smelly ruffles.
1: <laughs> just smelly ruffle man. Yeah. Six foot three smelly ruffle man, Woodward.
0: That's my new Halloween costume. Mm-hmm. Just smelly ruffles. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like I said, I can't say that it was completely bad. He was <laughs> a mixed bag.
0: He was a complicated person.
1: Yeah, we all are.
3: We.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. But. Yes. Speaking of complicated people.
3: Yes.
0: I have a two truths and a lie for you. Yes. And I did decide to make it about me because. Yes. um,
1: Because you're so complicated.
0: I'm so complicated.
1: Like an Avril Lavigne song. Why'd you have to go make things so so complicated? complicated.
0: Uh, But it's just about things that happened during and after my trip.
3: Okay. I'm here.
0: Fact number one. I had Morning Train by Sheena Easton stuck in my head for most of it. Okay. Fact number two. I was caught singing along to What's Love by Fat Joe and Ashanti in the communal showers one day.
1: Okay. Dang, these are all believable so far. Okay.
3: Fact three. I've watched three Bond movies since I've been home. I'm gonna go with three being a lie. Because you've been
1: home like a week and a half, almost not even. I saw you on your birthday. Yes. Yeah. I know you saw family, which you could have watched a movie with family, but also like it takes time to see family. Mm-hmm. But you didn't leave your house this weekend to go with. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm sticking with my guns. I'm sticking with that one. They're all so believable, but I have to go with that one because
0: that is the lie. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to know why? you've watched
1: four. Six. Oh my god
0: i yeah i've been home for a week and a day and i've already watched six bond movies
1: that's okay that's fine
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh but yes for most of the trip i had fucking morning train by sheena east so that I doesn't
1: had... surprise me at all for some reason i was like yep that tracks that done. tracks
0: and so like yeah um so basically like our rooms we had like a half bath in our rooms, so we had like mm-hmm. a toilet sink, but like the showers, there was like three like showers, and there was like a shower room basically. And like I went in there and I was alone. I was like, I need music. It's been so long since I've had a jam session of just me listening to music. And so I was putting on my like like R and B hip hop throwbacks. I was just like, what's that got to, got to. And then like didn't hear people come in. And then I like got out of the shower.
3: And people were just like. Oh, I didn't know I wasn't alone. (laughs) It should be about us. It should be about trust. Yeah. I love that song.
1: I love that. It's fantastic.
0: Yes. And then I watched six Bond movies. And for those who are interested, Dr. No, Thunderball, and then all four of the Daniel Craig ones. Wow. Yeah.
1: Dedication. Yeah. Right there.
0: The Daniel Craig ones happened. Like I wasn't planning on watching them, but then I watched a YouTube video of somebody else who had just watched all four of them, Uh which I did that last month. And I was like, now I want to do it again, though. So I did it again.
1: The dedication, the perseverance, the just throwing yourself all into it. I love it. Yes. Life lessons can be learned from you. (laughs) Just got to watch
0: yet another Bond movie.
1: Mm -hmm. For the 12th time. It's true. It's true. I mean, it's not true for me, but it's true for some people.
0: I mean, I'm going to get you to watch one at least.
1: I'm going to get you to
0: care about the Bond series. and you would be like, Mm -hmm. I can't believe I wasn't watching this before.
1: I'm not saying that's not going to happen. It's a hard sell, though. It's a hard.
3: It's a hard sell, but I
0: can make it happen.
1: (laughs) Then I have to find something to make you fall in love with. But I don't know what I like. I do love bad television sometimes, though. Okay. I love bad TV.
3: Bad TV is great.
1: But Mm. I think that
3: wraps us like the end of Augustus Woodward's
1: career. Yeah. In Michigan.
0: Wrapped like that.
1: I don't know. We did
0: not get reelected to continue this episode, so we will be ending here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But back for the next one. Yes, but we are still allowed to mention that if you want to follow us on our social medias at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook, and our email address of Detroit Strange at gmail.com.
1: Mm-hmm. And if you want to support the show, you can always head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Five-star reviews are really appreciated. Yeah. We're little. Please help us grow. And also our Patreon as mentioned up top. Uh, you know, the more people we get up on there, the more stuff we'll probably put on there too. Yeah. No, our motivation. And yeah, just uh, keep listening. Tell your friends. Tell your family.
3: Yeah. Tell your enemies. I don't care. Tell somebody. Yeah. Spread the word. But I think. Until next time. Stay
1: strange. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Podcast. Our theme song was created by Detroit duo, Sax and Violence.
0: Baby takes the morning
2: train, sends him from nine to five, and then
1: he, he takes another one again to find, find me waiting for him. him. I'm glad we don't know the same word. <laughs>
3: we got there eventually. We did.